Welcome to In the Fig of It, Prod and Lossy's weekly podcast with me, Colin Lamberts. Um, we'll get to my guest very shortly, but first we'll do the week that was. Um, it's been an interesting one, actually, because uh, last Friday, um, you remember a couple of weeks ago, Rob Franelich was my guest on the podcast. and We were talking about a sort of Friday phenomena um, in FX markets where risk levels were sort of dropping, you know, risk appetite was dropping off and liquidity was maybe being challenged on a Friday. Well, we had the month-end fix, um, WM4PM fix on Friday, and we was kind of watched with a bit of interest, not least by yours truly. Um, generally speaking, it went off absolutely fine, um, particularly in the majors, the G3, you know, G2 or G3, if you want to call euro, dollar, and yen. Um, what interested me, though, I mean, there were still a few issues around there, not least um, there was some, uh, there was a pretty big moving cable during the window. I think it moved about um, 40 points lower during the window and continued afterwards. Clearly, somebody seemed to be left with some risk there that maybe they could have done some pre-hedging. But, you know, a 40-point move in a window in, in a market like cable, um, I, I'm not convinced that that's a really good look for the market, I have to say. Uh, the other thing was uh, Dollar Canada. There was clearly some pre-hedging in Dollar Canada because Dollar Canada moved 40 points before the fix window. Um, you know, in the 10 minutes immediately before it, and then kind of settled into the fix itself. So you've got some market impact there. So their issues are still ongoing. Um, and I suspect that we will, this will go on and on because, you know, I'm, I'm talking to sources at fairly senior levels in the industry now about this, and they're kind of all saying the same thing. Um, you know, nobody's doing anything wrong, but this is not really a great look. So maybe we need to look at that one. Um, and it was, you know, there's a bit of irony. I mentioned this in my column on Monday that um, that month-end fix came just after the um, the uh, group of investors who opted out of the first class actions against the banks over market manipulation um, had their hearing go forward um, in New York. Uh, I looked back at the FCA um, papers around the fines, you know, the doc- the, uh, the the legal documents that they released and you kind of think well you know if you're a regulator and you're trying to make a point around the um why you're suing or why you're uh, finding the bank millions of dollars um you would pick the worst episodes and it was interesting to me that some of the episodes they picked was like euro dollar moving three pips or four pips um which is exactly what it did move in the fix on on friday um afternoon and we thought that was a good result after april um and cable, there was an episode where cable moved dropped about 40 to 50 points. Guess what? On the following day, cable moved 40 to 50 points in the fix. So it's, it was just an, an, an ironic aside there that we, that, we, that we see these things. I don't think it's an issue that's going to go away, unfortunately. So I do think we need to maintain momentum. Um, <clears throat> it was interesting also, something else that bothered me this week a lot. Um, a couple of people sent me an article they saw flick through Bloomberg News um, that rather definitely implied and the language is a little ambiguous but it definitely implied that um, some the market had actually deliberately triggered an option barrier in one, uh, 137 the figure in dollar Canada now it was citing a trader familiar with the the um, the trading that took place um, and they spoke about taking out the 137 barrier. Now, it could be they were talking about some sort of technical analysis level. I don't think so. 
it worries me that in this day and age when you know we have the global code and i think everybody's well aware of you know what is good and what is bad behavior that someone thinks is acceptable to do this now i'm not suggesting the person speaking to bloomberg um was actually involved in this what i would hope is that this person did um escalate this to their own management as well as talk to um the media about it um and of course it's in the public interest that people notice that bloomberg was perfectly right to to publish a story um it's a concern to me because i kind of sense that there's a not necessarily complacency but there is a feel in the industry that we've solved the big um conduct problems and that our problem now lies with the sort of details you know there's a we're still banging on about last at windows there's a little bit around pre-hedging but generally speaking it's okay anonymous trading's got its issues and you know we want to make sure disclosures are appropriate and not too onerous these are generally speaking technical issues you know the global code is moving towards um a situation now we're saying okay what we want to do is actually look at um the technicalities may produce an annex or two you know an extra example but just give people specific guidance around these small issues and then i read a report like this and think to myself well maybe what we also need to be doing as an industry is now turning around and saying right let's actually remind everybody that it's not okay to run stops it's not okay to deliberately trigger a barrier option now it could be the banks were doing this perfectly innocently but the fact that a trader with knowledge says that this is what they were the intention was tells me that something very very wrong has gone on here um and as i noted in my midweek column uh if nothing else if you're a customer out there that had a 137 barrier that was knocked out on monday in asia i would be asking questions of anybody that would listen and i would especially be asking questions at senior level of the counterparty banks anyone that knew about it and if you didn't get satisfaction this is something i do think has to be raised to the regular to the regulatory level um yeah we're on thin ice as an industry we cannot afford to let things like this through so hopefully something will come of that um i guess the other interesting thing from my point of view this week and this is something i'm going to come on to with my guest in just a second um refinitiv rolled out their um matching for forwards api it's a a relatively small you know news item i guess but it's important to my mind because i think this is another step in um building electronification of the fx swaps market in the multi-dealer in the in the matching peer-to-peer environment um you know obviously this is the biggest public um electronic fx swaps platform the moment i think it's around 330 to 350 yards a day much of it in the short end has to be said but i think you know if we get this and you've got the initiatives at 360t then i think we're actually sort of definitely get into the stage where um things are happening in fx swaps and um the other thing that was launched this week was something by cme and i will be back after a short break with um, our guest to discuss that very issue Did you know that if you sign up before July 1st, you can subscribe to Profit and Loss for just £130 sterling for a whole 12 months? That's a huge 30% discount on your regular subscription rate. Or pay just £230 for two years. Go to www.profit-loss.com slash plans and sign up today. 
or email info at profit-loss.com for more information to ensure that you never miss out on the latest FX news. So I'm joined by Paul Houston, Global Head of Listed FX Products at CME Group. Um, this week, CME unveiled the FX Swap Rate Monitor, um, a new product for the um, FX4s or FX Swaps market, if you prefer. Um, Paul, welcome to the podcast. Um, what does the – can you explain to us what the FX Swap Rate Monitor actually is? Yeah, sure. So, uh, hi, Colin. Uh, thanks for having me. Um, so, the FX Swap Rate Monitor, it was launched on Monday. Um, it's available on cvgroup.com. So, it's uh, – it's, it's, it's free to access if you register on cme.com. Um, and in short, it dis- displays a, a view into our marketplace. So it displays the FX link uh, swap points, so the bid and offer in the mid, the FX futures pricing. Uh, and from that, it creates uh, an implied spot and also can, uh, creates implied interest rates uh, or in- interest rate differentials between the eight currencies. So it's available in eight currencies, uh, the G7 and Mexican peso which uh, uh, is in line with the FX link offering and also offers a current and historic view into, into, into that pricing. So it has a, a near real-time view, but also an historic view. An FX link is available. It's a spread between um, OTC spot and our first three monthly expiries. So the, the front quarterly naturally, but also the, uh, the two monthlies either, either side or before that front quarterly. Mm. So, yeah, and I mean, in terms of use, it's uh, obviously it's a, it's, a, it's, a, it's, a, it's a data source that's uh, that's accessible to, to the market. Um, FX swaps uh, that you know it's a huge marketplace, obviously, but uh, there isn't really a primary uh, public uh, data source. An FX link, although uh, a swap price on standardised dates does offer um, a primary uh, view into into our market as a, as a you know as a, as a firm data source. And also by looking at uh, interest rate differentials, it shows how our market uh, FX linked futures can be used to uh, you know, generate trading and investment opportunities. Mm. So, uh, yeah, I mean, just to finish it, this would be the first phase, an initial launch, um, but we intend to, uh, you know, to, to adapt and evolve the product in response to market feedback. So, for example, incorporating our futures calendar spreads would be a, a next step. Okay. I mean, Obviously, um, the sort of basis blowout was quite a big theme in March, um, and there's been there's been a lot more interest around sort of I don't think I could call, you could call it market dislocations, but you know these basis blowouts were fairly unusual for the time. This would be highlighting things like that, would it? Yeah, no, it, it, it's a, it's a, it's a, a lens into our marketplace. So if the the basis is volatile or, or the basis blows out, it will will, will highlight that. Um, mm-hmm. You know, the, the, the basis is a, a, a very topical. That there's been um, a lot of volatility across a, a lot of asset classes. I mean, an FX um, FX link is certainly a, a proxy for, for FX swaps, and we saw in March uh, a lot of volatility uh, intermittent pricing of FX link. But that was a function of the the underlying swap market. So um, we saw LIBOR OS spreads blow out to 140 basis points, you know, reaching levels that haven't been seen since the financial crisis. We saw the, uh, I think the, I looked at the three-month swap rate volatility, um, looking at RFQ data, looking at um, uh, indicative prices on uh, certain venues. Uh, the, the, the volatility we estimated was three or four times uh, greater than, uh, you know, early Q1 or 2019 levels. 
and then you had a lot of Fed activity. So it, was, it wasn't surprising that um, the basis in FX has defined the difference between spot and the uh, futures expiry uh, did blow out because that was the 3.6 that, that the 3.6 trillion uh, swap market did uh, dry up to a certain extent, certainly over that two-week period at the end of March. I mean, certainly anything that kind of helps build liquidity in this. I mean, it's often forgotten that, you know, FX swaps, and I know it's, you know, the short end of the curve, but FX swaps remains the biggest FX market in the world, doesn't it? So it's quite important, you know, that we have as deep a liquidity pool as we can possibly get. Generally speaking, yeah, I mean, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, you mentioned FX link there. I mean, so how's FX link going in terms of its evolution? I mean, I, I, wrote about it when you first launched it and said, that, you know, as someone with, um, shall I say, decades of proud, a long and proud history of predicting global <laughs> electronification of the FX swaps market, um, it will take longer than people probably expected. Is that been your experience? Uh, yeah, absolutely. So, uh, yeah, we, we, we think, uh, naturally, we think FX Link's a, a great product. Um, and, uh, uh, but, it's a new product for the marketplace, so um, it inevitably takes some sort of adoption. Um, so FX Link, as I said, is a spread between OTC, spot, and uh, futures. We've uh, built out functionality on the OTC side, uh, leveraging our, our futures marketplace. Uh, we've built out uh, a good liquidity pool, so we have around 10 market makers that make markets in that spread. And then we have a lot of interest in the product, but onboarding uh, banks, hedge funds, and uh, non-bank market makers does take some time. I think we have about uh, 30 to 40 active participants. Just before the blowout in the basis, we, we um, onboarded a, a couple more uh, major global banks, and the, the volumes really started to grow. So still small in context of the overall swap market, but um, we were starting to, to do, uh, on average, about $5 billion a day in the early part of March, um, peaking about $8 billion a day in notional terms. Uh, since then, um, volumes have been a bit more subdued, but we do still have a promising um, onboarding uh, pipeline, uh, particularly a lot of interest from banks. It does offer a lot of credit and capital efficiencies. As I mentioned, it, um, it, it is a central limit order book for FX swaps. Um, the basis is also traded by non-banks who have a different axe. So uh, non-banks trade uh, FX futures as a proxy for spot. Uh, largely, uh, not exclusively, but largely as a proxy spot. And FX Link is a, a means for them to move exposures from one market to the next. So they do, in, in making markets in FX Link, they do offer a different acts for other participants who want to trade um, FX swaps as a, uh, sorry, FX Link as a proxy for FX swaps. Mm. I, the credit and capital thing is an interesting one to me because um, there was a paper earlier this year um, from the BIA, from a group in the BIS talking about a spillover of liquidity challenges, particularly around the end of the month. And a lot of it was due to what they called window dressing by the global banks under GSIB. Um, I'm going to get it wrong now. Globally systemically important banks, I think it is, um, where they literally yeah, try to reduce. Yeah. We, never, we never let an error get in the way of, the, of, of a good podcast, <laughs> mate, so don't worry about it. It's, um, <laughs> we, uh, I mean, but the, the point they were making was banks were window dressing towards the end of the month to make sure they're – you know, their balance sheet wasn't too large, so they dropped into the next bucket of GSIB. It strikes me that FX Link and you know the the futures functionality you guys are offering is a real serious benefit for banks looking to 
you know, reduce their exposure around these month ends. Is that fair? Yeah, no, it, it, absolutely. So um, FX swaps on the, in the OTC in the OTC marketplace uh, as a standalone don't attract a huge amount of capital as a standalone, but given the sheer volume and the sheer size of positions on, on banks' books, obviously they're, uh, they, 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 have, they attract large capital charges uh, expressed in terms of GSIB or RWA. So futures, although futures and FX link, although not a replacement, can offer an efficient way of hedging. And the, the, the paper's right, particularly around month end and quarter ends, when these uh, capital exposures have to be reported, there is a natural uh, um, tendency for, for a pullback in, in liquidity or trading activity. Mm-hmm. And sometimes this trading activity is replaced by other banks who aren't globally significant. Um, but the, the, the swap market does um, exhibit um, you know, slightly abnormal or unusual characteristics, particularly around quarter end. So we feel futures and FX link uh, have a, a role to play in offering a, a, you know, a capital efficient way to, to manage exposures. Futures uh, naturally are standardized, so it really is uh, uh, used as, we, we see it to be used more as a, a risk transfer tool. You wouldn't get exposure to the date, but futures don't count towards GSIB exposures. And also when you face a central counterparty, you get a huge amount of uh, netting benefit. So the counterparty exposure, which drives capital measures such as RWA is, is, is materially reduced. And finally, we, we facing a CCP also attracts lower uh, risk-weighted uh, weightings, so the actual calculation is lower. So that in short, they're capital efficient, um, and we, we've been as well as FX Link, we've been pushing our uh, FX futures calendar spreads, which um, naturally um, in our marketplace, uh, our, our futures market trades as an outright. So uh, the 100 billion ADV in Q1. Was largely the market trading as outright, but from what uh, from one quarter to the next, there is a a role uh, which uh, is a calendar spread. Our ambition is to try and grow that calendar spread activity using the quarterly points as anchor, but but we also have monthly futures mm-hmm. to try and grow futures activity as a as a as an FX spread. And we've cut minimum price increments in our, our quarterly roles. We cut the euro yen, uh, CAD and Aussie by sixty percent, sterling by fifty percent to make those. Uh, instruments a more viable risk transfer tool and we've seen more activity from banks we think we have eight or nine global banks that trade our futures calendar spreads around the quarterly role we're we're making investment to try and build that activity outside the quarterly role if that makes sense yeah and it, is it a question then of cme ensuring that you know the, the products you're offering match i guess like the calendar demands of these banks I mean, we're talking about month in then. So is, is is the key to this going forward, the fact that if you can offer this relief that you've just described there at the right time of every month, that will be the trigger? Yeah, it, it, that, that, that's that's part of the, uh, the, the, uh, the focus, but also just to try and uh, build up liquidity in these marketplaces as a, as a, as a complement to, uh, to, to, um, the, the bank's needs to, to trade uh, FX swaps, uh, a complement or alternative uh, as, as a risk transfer tool. Mm. So, um, mm. yeah, the stat market has, uh, we've seen that in, in, in spot futures, uh, a, a quarterly instrument is often traded as a, as a, as a proxy or complement to OTC spot because it brings different uh, liquidity dynamics, different trading on on, on, on state marketplaces. It's, it's, it's by no means a replacement, but it's certainly a, a primary market, a complement. There is a ambition to do that in uh, 
in the spread market as well. And we've been speaking to a number of banks who uh, yeah, see uses in, in, in working with us to develop the marketplace. Obviously, the, I mean, one of the historical um, tenets of CME and FX has been, you know, it complements the stronger OTC market. And I guess the same can be said in, in, in what you're trying to do with FX Link. But to your point earlier, there isn't actually that sort of really strongly established central limit order book in FX swaps. Um, I mean, do you think, I guess it's, there's two questions that come to me from, from my point of view. Do you think as things settle down in markets in terms of volatility, um, that people will be more willing to look at futures again? Because one of the challenges that I tend to hear is, you know, when you've got very volatile markets, you don't want that sort of calendar risk. You know, you've got, you've got a customer trade into a certain date and you can hedge in the futures, but to five days previous or after, it becomes a bit of a challenge. So firstly, do you think that, you know, settling down in the OTC markets would um, would help maintain momentum in growing, you know, FX link generally? Um, and secondly, I mean, obviously we saw yesterday that Refinity have launched a matching forwards API. It's a small step, but it's another electronification of this market. What does greater electronification of the OTC market mean to CME as well? Yeah, I think uh, to answer the second part of your question first, because I guess it's one that I remember. Um, <laughs> the, 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 uh, the electronification of the, the swap market can only help uh, our initiatives because um, uh, if, there's, if there's greater automated trading, greater uh, efforts around uh, uh, automated risk management that can only uh, benefit uh, the adoption of futures or FX link as, as a tool um, to, to trade in that marketplace. You, you know, trading on the club is very different to trading on a, on a bilateral basis. Um, the FX swap market is uh, very much bilateral driven. Um, it does uh, trade in large size. We're trading it trading on a club can be more focused on algorithmic trading, although we have, do have a number of other methods uh, such as uh, you know, blocks and, and crossing, but, but very much it's, it's automated trading. So in short, as the OTC marketplace evolves, we expect uh, uh, futures to be a beneficiary. And to your earlier point, uh, very much a complement to those initiatives. Mm. Yeah. And I guess, uh, you know, so, you know, as you were saying, like, yeah, with the FX link, volumes dropping off when the basis did blow out and conditions in the underlying got very difficult um, as they settled down in hope then then you know the the expectation is FX volumes recovered back to where they were um, in Q1 and I guess continue to grow from there. Yeah and I, I do see as as we evolve our efforts um, that you know futures futures can be very strong in volatile markets uh, you know I completely accept what you're saying about the basis but that was a wider blowout. I mean, yeah. futures are a credit efficient tool. So some of the credit constraints, um, some of the pullback of pricing, if, if there's a, a, an efficient uh, central order book, then uh, an, an efficient in terms of credit as well as pricing, then futures can definitely be beneficial to the marketplace, mm. albeit with a caveat around the basis and, and the mismatch of dates. Yeah. It's an interesting one because I think the, say this, this effect, my sense is that um, obviously things have been delayed a little bit by the pandemic. Yeah, there's a lot of plans being put on hold for product development and I guess connectivity issues. You, 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 everyone has a pipeline, but the pipeline at the moment is not really moving, is it? 
But um, my sense is that FX swaps in particular will be probably the really interesting area to follow over the next year, 18 months. And um, I'm pretty sure FX link will be a big part of that as well. Um, so, yeah, well, Paul, thanks very much for joining us. Um, pleasure to have you on the podcast. Um, no, thanks and, very much. And I'd, um, yeah, to the listeners, thanks very much for listening. And um, we'll be back next week as usual. Um, have a very good week.